Do you want your parrot to have a long, happy, healthy life? I suspect you do, like most of us pet parents. If that's the case, then you need to have a relationship with a certified avian veterinarian. Find one in your area. And today, as a special treat, we'll be interviewing Dr. Giannopoulos. She is the uh, head veterinarian at Feathers and Fur Animal Hospital here in San Diego County, and she specializes in avian medicine, companion parrots specifically. So in this interview, we'll be discussing uh, topics of avian medicine with Dr. G. And then also, if you're viewing this podcast on our YouTube channel, you can see shorts of her examination and intake process for Miss Pepper Jalapeno, the spiciest parrot in the world. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Busy Beak Podcast, where we talk about all things a bird, from parrots to chickens and everything in between. I'm your host, Christian Diaz. Follow us on social media at the Busy Beak. Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Giannopoulos from Pheasant for Animal Hospital, and I'm a bird veterinarian here in San Diego. Um, I'm also a general practitioner for dogs and cats, um, and I do do some basic stuff with small exotic mammals like rabbits and guinea pigs um, and rats and ferrets and chinchillas, and the list goes on. Um, I don't do reptiles or fish, okay, but um, birds are actually my specialty, and um, I've been here in San Diego for about two years, but I started um, my own mobile clinic, Pheasant Fur Animal Hospital, about a year ago. And um, I am mobile for now, but I am looking for a brick and mortar practice um, eventually because what I really want to do, my like end goal, is to be able to hospitalize birds and to have, um, yeah, a place where I could, where birds can be uh, boarded with medications, boarded with training, boarded with diet conversion. I actually have all these crazy ideas in my head. And I'm from the Bay Area originally, and I am residency trained in avian medicine uh, from the Medical Center for Birds, which is a bird-only hospital in the Bay Area. And I know it sounds really crazy to be a bird-only hospital, but even crazier, there were five full-time vets there. And it was, it is, it was a pretty crazy couple of, um, years because there were no fewer than 30 birds at any given time in the hospital. And that's wow. just like hospitalized side. The boarding side was always between 20 and 40 parrots. It's, it was, it's wow. a huge, it was, it's wild. Um, yes, I love you. I love you. But I've always been a bird person. Um, I've had birds since I was a little girl. They're like my heart of hearts. Yes, I love you so much. Some people would say that I am an Amazon on the inside. Those people being me and people who know me very well. Uh, but, um, and specifically probably a yellow nape too, like Mr. Pepper Jalapeno here. Yes. He's just waking up from sedation. So don't mind him. He's just like coming, coming, coming to his senses here. Um, but yeah, that's me. And my goal is to take care of the birds in San Diego. I can't do it all myself. Okay. Uh, but I sure can try. So for, um, for bird owners, um, one of the, the big things for them is, um, when to take your bird to the vet. Oh, really good question. Thank you for asking that. Um, <clears throat> I think when you first get a bird, taking them to the vet and having kind of an intake exam, if it hasn't been done beforehand, is always a good idea, especially to establish care for this bird. So that way you have an open channel of communication. Um, very much like you and Mr. Pepper Jalapeno here. Um, because even though, you know, after we leave today, it doesn't mean that our relationship ends or our relationship ends. You know, I'm always here if questions or concerns pop up as well. 
Um, so definitely when you first get a bird, um, and especially if you're new to birds, it's it's good to get um, a good foundational understanding of where your bird is at, medically speaking, but also in terms of their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, for companion parrots, the absolute most important thing for their health and wellness long term is their husbandry, meaning how you take care of them, how you feed them, their environment, their enrichment, both socially and physically, um, and also with like foraging opportunities um, and things like that. It is very important to their long term health. Um, in fact, I would say the majority of um, diseases, problems, trauma, things that uh you know i see from birds um in a clinic setting are uh mostly preventable with a proper diet and husbandry and all that stuff so it's very very important to get all those foundations in order first um definitely annual exams (laughs) so when you first get a bird annual exams and then of course anytime a bird is ain't doing right or acting off or in some way um, annual exams, you know, I I preach that not only for dogs and cats, but especially for birds and exotics, because parrots are prey species, um, unless you're a Kia. <laughs> um, but they are, for the most part, prey species. And so by their very nature and evolutionary biology, they are designed to hide their illnesses. Um, and so you have to be very, very, very uh, take initiative and be almost like aggressively on top of their health and wellness to catch things before they be- snowball out of control and become a big problem and kind of blow up in our face later, so to speak. Um, so annual when you first get them, annual exams, and then any time a bird is just off, the kind of classic signs of illness are very often very nonspecific. Um, and sometimes the the signs that they will give you will be subtle. So maybe, you know, over five or six months, maybe they'll lose 15 or 20% of their body weight. And unless you are like weighing them every so often, you know, every week, every two weeks, every, once a month, any anything is better than nothing. Um, you know, you may not be able to kind of catch something like that. Um, sometimes just being kind of fluffed or quieter than normal is a sign of illness. Um you know, any abnormal changes in their uh, droppings. Um, poop health is is health <laughs> for people and for birds and for all animals, honestly. So monitoring their poops and their droppings, which includes feces, urine, and urates. Uh, monitoring the amount, the quality, the you know, the texture, the colors, things like that. Uh, kind of the character of it is also very important. If there's anything off with that, definitely would indicate taking your bird to a vet as well. Um, definitely emergency red flag emergency if they're on the bottom of their cage they're not responsive you're like yo mr pepper jalapeno and he's just like can't can barely even open his eyes or if she's just like sinking you know if they're just like sunken in and fluffed out of the bottom of the cage that's an emergency you need to go to birds the hospital asap mm-hmm. obviously or maybe not so obviously but in general i think every bird really needs um an annual exam awesome um could you talk about um blood tests that, that we need to do with our birds. Yeah. Should be yeah, really, really good question. Um, so for younger birds and that, like, how young is young? Depends on what species, right? Because budgies don't necessarily live 30 years. But, you know, someone like Mr. Pepper Jalapeno, if uh, with any luck and good health here, you know, you're probably going to have him for 
another 60, 70 years. You know, I hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially because of all the good things that you are changing in his lifestyle and diet. But in general, when they're younger, I think doing blood work every couple of years, like maybe every two to three years, um, both a complete blood count called a CBC, and that looks at red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets, but also a chemistry panel, which looks at liver values, kidney values, electrolytes, proteins, cholesterol, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, both of those pieces of information are very, very insightful. So, um, and even in good health, some people might say, well, if his physical exam was normal and this bird is acting normal and this is just like an annual wellness and my parrot is only five years old, why should I do blood work? Good question. You certainly don't have to. You don't have to do anything. But it's very important, I think, to establish a baseline, especially for an individual. Um, from my perspective as a veterinarian, um, you know, do I have reference books to like look up a yellow nape Amazon and see what, you know, what should their, you know, bile acids be or their white blood cell count? Sure, I have those numbers to compare to, but there is always individual variation and changes within one particular individual over time is more significant than, you know, one timepiece if he never got blood work in his life and then all of a sudden he's 30 and he's sick and I do blood work and I look at these numbers and I'm like, I wonder, you know, how I interpret them is informed and influenced by baseline blood work when he's healthy, actually. Um, You know, is that white blood cell count, especially if it's in the gray area, you know, could it mean actual like infection, inflammation, or is it just a stress response? I don't really know. Let's see where he was at when he was healthy. Um, So that's really, really important. Also doing blood work regularly every two to three years when they're younger, um, it, it really establishes like a pattern. So it's it's very, very, very insightful and helpful, but also so you can catch problems before they become like too big of a problem. Um, but then when they're older, so I would say, and, and that really varies a lot, too, um, because it depends. I mean, some Amazons, even by the time they're 30, they will have all these like old bird diseases. They they will be physically and medically like geriatric because they've had, um, you know, poor diet, no exercise, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing. And and their bodies will um, succumb to geriatric diseases a lot sooner. So sometimes even like a yellow nape. I would consider geriatric by the time they're 30, depending on what the the past 30 years have looked like for that bird. So it really just depends. But when they do get to be a little bit geriatric, or if you want to pay a little bit closer of attention to them, then doing blood work every single year is um, is recommended. That's what I do for for all my birds. All my birds are over 30 and half, more than half of them are disabled. So, <laughs> so they all get blood work every year. Actually, a lot of them get blood work more than once a year. But uh, yeah, th- I think those things are very, very important. Of course, there's also in certain infectious disease testing as well. Oops, sorry, scary Nancy boy. Um, which is important, I think, on intake, um, if certain boarding facilities require it, um, or in cases where the, you know, certain infectious diseases are suspected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So what are some of the the most common things that you see birds being brought in for um, in terms of emergencies? Really good question. If they are older and have a history of um, poor diet, egg laying, or if they're one of the like top three species to get atherosclerosis and heart disease, Sorry to tell you, Amazons are one of those in that category. Amazons, cocktails, and gray parrots. Um, the most common 
problem I see, which very often presents as an emergency, is uh, heart disease and stroke events, secondary to heart disease. Um, and sometimes strokes can um, precipitate seizures. So sometimes, uh, they, like, they'll see a seizure and they're like, oh, you know, is it lead poisoning or heavy metal poisoning? Uh, I mean, it depends, of course, but uh, very often not so much. Um Getting into things they're not supposed to. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so chewing on zippers, chewing on picture frames, chewing on, oh my lord, it literally could be anything. Buttons. Buttons, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, I once had uh, a lovebird that was just nonstop seizing um, because she ate pieces of mini blinds that happened to be made like in the 60s and they had lead in it turned out Mm. um so yes trauma foreign body ingestion uh but also yeah trauma trauma for sure so if people are just not being careful about their environment like they're boiling a pot of hot water and they have a fully flighted you know conure or something and the water like lands in the pot of water whoops okay or like a candle um not only so many problems there um but like flying into it getting wax and burn skull and all this stuff um multi-species households where um even just different species of birds if they don't get along you're not properly supervising them or separating them or like managing their environment in a way that works for them they can get Mm -hmm. into trouble with each other definitely seen that a lot um or like dog and cat attacks on birds for example um even i once had um and Amazon present for being attacked by a raccoon. Um, and I was like, okay, first of all, what are you doing keeping your bird outside? Guess what? The bird was on outside. The bird lived, the bird didn't have a cage. Um, she lived on just like a freestanding perch in the living room. And there was like a doggy door that the owner was like supposed to lock every single night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then forgot to one night. A raccoon came in, attacked the bird. Okay. Anyway, things like this. So wow. trauma attacks from um, other species, either in the household or if they are housed outside, not mm-hmm. properly uh, reinforcing their um, aviary or, or whatever their environment is outside, um, that kind of thing. And foreign body ingestion is also extremely, extremely, extremely common. Those are the things that turn into, that look like emergencies. Um, Non-emergency, very common problems are uh, obesity (laughs) Uh, from a poor diet uh, and and things like that. But those are um, more easily correctable over time and have a good prognosis. Awesome. Yeah. could you um, talk a little bit more about the importance of um, forging and enrichment? Oh, and my God. Why we need to do that for our birds? Yeah. Really good question. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually. So um, I am a firm believer that birds are less likely to do dumb stuff like eat pieces of wood or zippers or rhinestones off of your, you know, picture frames or carpet if they are provided with more appropriate opportunities to shred, tear, destroy. Because guess what? That's what they do in the wild. So even though a lot of parrot owners will complain about their birds being messy, it's a good thing that they're messy. That is how they are. That's their natural state. That's what they do in the wild. They make a hot mess. And you know what? They're dropping stuff and throwing food everywhere. People complain about it. And you know what? I complain about it. I vacuum twice a day. Are you kidding me? This is nuts. But the thing is, is that in the wild, they are, you know, seeding the next season of like trees and vegetation um, for the rainforests and things like that. Um, but in a home captive environment, 
foraging is extremely important to uh, to to implement um, in your own home because that's what they do in the wild. They spend the majority of their time searching for food. If you teach your bird how to forage, and it really, I say teach because it really is a skill that they can and will develop over time if you are intentional about it. So there's everything from like lazy foragers, I call them lazy foragers, like a lazy forager would be like a dog, slow feeder bowl or something like that. You know, it looks like a little plastic labyrinth or whatever. You know, you put some food in there, some treats or something, and then throw some shredded paper or you know, whatever, uh, little wood blocks or whatever on top of it. And then they just have to like throw it off, you know, to like get to the food at the bottom. You know, that's what I call like kindergarten foraging. So you have that kind of foraging and then you have like all of your pellets. <laughs> Literally every calorie you eat is in a forager and they have to like work for it somehow and go to all these different places on their perch stand or in their cage or on top of their cage in and outside of it on the ceiling, on the bottom in a corner over here, over there. Um, and that's like college level foraging, I call it. Um, and that, you know, not everybody is able to get to that, right? Just like not everybody goes to college, but, um, but if they can get to that, then they, they love that. Um, there were actually a couple of, um, actually you should totally look into this and you ask, if you remind me to, if you remind me later, like email me later, um, I can totally get these papers to you, but there are some avian behavioral, um, research papers that were published some years ago showing that if provided the opportunity for a parrot in a captive environment, if they had food like ad lib or free choice, like just sitting in a bowl, kind of like being fed off a silver platter, or if they had to forage for their food, what would be their preference? And the majority of parrots chose foraging because they actually like to forage. So it's an inherently reinforcing behavior. It keeps them out of trouble, I say, um, because if you can keep their beaks busy with appropriate things, then you can avoid their beaks getting busy either on themselves or on things they're not supposed to. So it's a really foraging is hugely important for so many things. It prevents eating out of boredom. Um, it can help with behavioral issues. Um, I once had a parrot who, uh, of course, it was an Amazon. Chris was blue, blue friend at Amazon who um, screamed so much every single day because she was super jealous whenever I left the room or super jealous if I like paid attention to another bird, which I did every single day. Um, and this is a very common problem. And um, she was so loud and obnoxious that my neighbors called animal control on me every day for four months. Mm. And then I taught her how to forage for literally every crumb and calorie of food, including fresh stuff. And um, I wouldn't say the problem 100% resolved, but it like 80 to 90% resolved. And it was much, much, much better. Um, and I would just, yeah, I would make a bunch of foragers on a Sunday because I didn't have a lot of time working a lot. You know, is it, this is actually when I was a bird resident. And um, I would make a bunch of actually Dixie cup foragers. So she had like three Harrison's pellets, double wrapped in newspaper, stuffed in uh, two or three layer thick of Dix of the waxless paper Dixie cups taped with a tiny piece of paint uh uh the blue uh, painter's tape and then um like stuck in between the cage bars like in different areas in her cage and that kept her quiet when i left the room and when i paid attention to other birds that was very 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 helpful so it's good for behavioral issues it's good for their like actual physical health and wellness as well as well as their like mental um stimulation as well you know they spend 
you know, anywhere from 60 to 70% of their time in the wild foraging. And what do they do in a cage? You know, if we can mimic that for them in their home captive environment, then the more naturally healthy they will be. Because even though we keep these birds in cages or sometimes freestanding on perches, which you're not supposed to know, but even though we keep them in our homes, they're not truly domesticated. They are still very much um, wild by nature. You know, they're, you know, it's not like people have been owning birds for thousands of years like we have dogs awesome so if somebody wanted to um book an appointment with you to have their their bird seen how could they reach you and if they don't live in the san diego area how can they find an avian veterinarian oh those are really good questions yeah um so if someone in san diego would like a consult uh for a bird um you can reach out to us on instagram at feathers and hospital feathers and fur animal hospital um, or via email info at feathers and fur a h a is an animal h is a hospital dot com um, or our phone number which I don't have memorized but I probably should 619-663-5760 thank you so much nurse Kathy I have nothing about <laughs> nurses by the way okay vets tend to get a lot of the credit and attention but listen, nurses are the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> seriously. Um, so you can get in contact with us that way um, or find me on Instagram as well. Me personally at uh, Dr. G, DRG, Bird Vet. Um, although um, I I am not uh, as active on social media as I'd like to be because I'm just too busy these days. But if someone outside of San Diego area, because I do often get this question from other people in parts of the in other parts of the country and the world. Um, how do I find a bird vet? The best way, I think, to find a bird veterinarian is to go to aav.org, which is the website for the Association of Avian Veterinarians, and uh, they have a Find a Vet uh, tab. So you just click on that, you type in your zip code or your state or country, whatever, um, and you can search within like, you know, 5, 10, 50 miles, uh, other veterinarians who are registered with this association as well. They include people, veterinarians all over the map, not only literally geographically, but um, members of this organization. So there are people who are bird veterinarians who are residency trained like me who are not yet board certified on that website. There are also board certified avian vets on that website. Although, fun fact, not all board-certified avian vets are even on that website. So that's very ironic. But anyway, that's another story. Um, but people who at least care enough to be a part of this organization hopefully means that they also care enough to stay up to date with the information and the continuing education opportunities that the, associ- that the Association of Avian Veterinarians um, uh, puts on every year. Awesome. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, probably too much information. No, that was great. That was great. Well, friends, that concludes our interview with Dr. G, bird vet extraordinaire. If you're watching on our YouTube channel, you got to see some clips of uh, pepper jalapenos intake exam, uh, blood work, and microchipping. That was done by Dr. G. And since that video was filmed, uh, we learned that through DNA testing, that pepper is actually female instead of male. So now she is Miss Pepper Jalapeno, the spiciest pear in the world. But I told uh, Pepper that She can be whatever she identifies as, and I will still love her anyway. (laughs) Tune in next week for a special guest that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So, until next time, bye.